Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Good morning and welcome to Sunday Take. It is Sunday, October 17th, 2021. I'm your host, Blois Olson. It's been playing out and growing for a number of years, but more and more, the lack of civil dialogue or disrupting public officials is becoming more and more common. From school board meetings to U.S. senators giving a lecture, this week saw more of it. We'll talk to Kirk Schneiderwind from the Minnesota School Boards Association and U.S. Senator Tina Smith. And one race that will be more interesting in 2022 is likely to be the Secretary of State's race. We'll talk to Kelly Johnner-Byrne. She's a Republican. She announced this week that she is going to challenge Steve Simon. But as we think about the way we get through these times, kindness, civility, and just being neighborly may work better. After all, on Friday, Governor Walls, legislative leaders, decided to exchange press conferences and pen letters rather than sit down in a room and try to work out a deal, whether it's frontline COVID pay or drought relief for our farmers. We haven't seemed to have learned anything in the last 20 months at the levels of power from school boards to the legislature to Congress. So if we're all going to be neighbors throughout the great state of Minnesota, we'll start here on The Good Neighbor. I'm Blaise Olson, and I pledge in 2022 we'll have civil dialogue, thoughtful analysis, and plenty of coffee. So grab a cup. It's the Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. Welcome back to Sunday Take. I'm Blaise Olson. Our first cup of coffee this morning is with Kelly Johnner Byrne. She is uh, running for Secretary of State. She announced her candidacy this week as a Republican. And uh, as a relative newcomer, I thought it'd be good to sit down and chat and see why she would want to run for office in 2022 when uh, running for office seems to be uh, more and more uh, polarizing and controversial. Kelly, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Blois. Good morning. So Kelly, what, um, you know, you're not a legislator, you're relatively new to politics. What should people know about you, your background, and why you uh, decided to put your name on the ballot in 2022? Um, that's a great question. You know, when we look at, um, you can be part of the problem or part of the solution. We've all heard that a, a hundred times, right? At least a hundred times. 
And I decided that um, I have, I do have some experience in the political world. I ran Mary Kiffmeyer's successful reelection campaign 20 years ago against Buck Humphrey. I had put my name into the hat to be a, uh, to run for the endorsed candidacy for Senate. Um, and I was not successful in that bid. I was a newcomer then. And, but I did go five rounds or six rounds or whatever. I don't know, my memory may fail me on that one. Um, but I learned the process and traveling the state, traveling all 87 counties was amazing. It was wonderful to serve. And I was very young at the time. I, I had, um, I'm a former Mrs. Minnesota. I was Mrs. Minnesota 2001, had done a number of things at the Capitol. I'm a singer. So I had the opportunity to sing for the National Day of Prayer. And I started to meet more legislators. I'm also a South St. Paul girl. There's a lot of good, um, you know, there's a lot of good public servants that have come out of South St. Paul. You know, Lavander, Plenty, Housley, Madsen, Stassen, Durnberger. Um, you know, it's just, you, you can't complain about things that you're not willing to be part of. So I stepped in back then. And uh, though I did not uh, become successful, I worked on a couple of campaigns and, and just helped. Um, you know, we all raise our families. I know you have, you have children as well. And um, I had my son when I was 40. And so I, I wanted to raise my family and, you know, build my business. And uh, I said that when the opportunity was, the timing was right. And, and, and if, it made, if it made good sense, I would do that. So I was the endorsed candidate in 53B for House of Representatives. And um, it, was a, it was a wonderful experience. Uh, I, did, was, I was not successful in that, but that's, you know, that's really where, where we went. So, um, I, I think it's you bring up South St. Paul, you know, Adam Carter here on WCCO, make sure that we know about say, South St. Paul every day. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I respect that Packer pride, uh, different kind of Packer pride than the ones from Green Bay. But so, Kelly, um, so you've been around politics, you've run for the legislature. Um, 2022 is shaping up in Minnesota to be, you know, a, a vibrant campaign. We have a governor's race. Our governor's races are always uh, energizing. Um, this one may be more polarizing post-pandemic, post-civil unrest. The Secretary of State's office in Minnesota, you know, um, and you obviously are familiar with the office if you ran Mary Kiffmeyer's campaign, um, has largely been kind of um, Switzerland. I mean, nobody's made big controversial moves in the Secretary of State's office. We have strong trust in our elections. Are there things that you see with incumbent Secretary of State Steve Simon that you would want to change? Well, I think that um, I think that there is just a great distrust. You know, I'm a mom, um, wife and mom, and when you just listen to other people, there's there's a distrust in the election process. So when you're out of the political world and you're actually talking to regular, normal Joe Q public, there is distrust. And I think that, you know, when, when Kiffmeyer was in office, she did a great job with um, a lot of the um, updating of systems and the, uh, the election reporting system was good at one point, but we haven't really moved technology forward. And, you know, we are right now, we are a perfect example of technology. There's people that are zooming and they're, you know, they're they're doing business around the globe uh, on their from their phones. That that wasn't so 
20 years ago. So I think that we really could streamline the process. You know, a third of the uh, duties of the Office of Secretary of State are elections, but two thirds is business service. You know, there's things that just haven't made sense. Moving business services downtown, parking isn't free. Um, we are not making it easy for small business owners or business owners in general to, to do some of the processes. So I think that it's really important that we, we look at um, not just elections, but really what the Secretary of State's office really does. Um, you know, just some examples. For instance, um, yes, we can all get dates wrong, but, you know, the, um, the, uh, the SOS website for the post-election review for Ramsey County stated that it was November 16th, or I'm sorry, the county commissioners had voted that it would be November 16th, but yet the Secretary of State's website said the 14th. So there, the Secretary of State's website should be the gold standard I do get it that we get dates wrong, but I think we need some technology, you know, updates. Okay. And that's one way I think that we could that we could help. But there are lots of business um, pieces that happen in the Secretary of State's office. And being a small business owner, I'd love to I'd love to see those processes streamlined. Kelly, I'm a small business owner too, so I I hear you on that. But I, you know, look, it's inherently going to be a political dynamic in a political narrative. When you say people distrust the election process, that largely has been a recent phenomenon driven largely by the 2020 election. Do you trust Minnesota elections today? You know, I believe that we can improve um, the systems and processes that we have in, in place. I would like to be the person going forward to help move that forward. And I think that's just important. I'm, I'm not, um, I'm not going to, you know, go down the road of, Hey, the 2020 election, you know, everybody thinks it's a crock. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go that because I, I'm not going to be pigeonholed into, into that place. I think that the, the systems in the secretary of state's office could be improved. And okay, Kelly, um, Kelly, I get that, but specifics because, well, for, and I say specific? that because but I say that in Minnesota because in Minnesota, we have strong turnout. In Minnesota, we historically have very trusted elections. Even those who have questioned our elections or, you know, fraudulent votes haven't come up with a lot of evidence. So if you're going to say that you want to improve things specifically for a voter, what are they going to see that's improved if you're the secretary of state? Well, you know, they, in, in January they, of 2020, January 8th, they hired a cyber navigator that would say, uh, you know, that was going to improve all of the, the systems and, and make, you know, make it so that voters would, would trust things. So I'd love to know more about what exactly the cyber navigator does uh, okay. to the tune of six figures to, you know, impact the security and the ease um, in, which we, in which we vote. So I, I, believe that, I believe that there is, as we go forward, there are things that we can do to really um, look deeper into getting the word out. I, I would love to see better communication with the counties um, and doing due diligence on the insight that goes out, out, on, out on the website and then make da data accessible and more user-friendly. You know, you're a business owner. Have you gone in? My question to you would be is, have you gone into the secretary of state's site and, you know, looked around at all of the, the business registrations and, and things like that? It's, you know, it's, it's not a real navigable site for an entrepreneur. Okay. Um, 
One of the issues that Republicans have talked a lot about in the last year, including in the legislature, is voter ID. We had a statewide referendum on this a few years ago. What's your stance on voter ID and showing ID before you vote? Well, you know, I think it's really interesting. When I go, when I go to vote, I show my ID. Um, when I go to the airport, um, I show my ID. If you, uh, you know, you go to, um, well, you, there's so many things that you have to show your identification for. If you pick up a concert ticket, you have to show your ID. I, I think that, I think that we should be showing our identification to yeah. prove who we prove who we are. Um, when I could comes- pick up your concert tickets, I could pick up your, um, if you had a dessert, yes. which, you know, I could pick up your tickets and just say, Hey, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm Blois's daughter. I'm Blois's wife. Uh, I, I could do that in many instances if we didn't have ID. So I think okay. it needs to be, um, it needs to be fair. I'm talking to Kelly Jenner Byrne here on Sunday Take, where she's a candidate for Secretary of State. We're talking about her campaign and some of the issues, because obviously elections and the way they're managed and run in Minnesota is likely to be uh, one of those uh, hot topics uh, through 2022. Kelly, as we start to wrap up here, um, one of the things in 2020 was that we were in a pandemic in Minnesota, and there was a lot of uh, efforts for mail-in ballots and early ballots. There was also talk about deadlines. Do you have an idea of what what deadlines make sense to you, um, considering that you, you've kind of stated that you think people have distrusted the office? Is it what is it that they distrust? Is it the deadlines? Is it the timelines? Um, because I, I talk to a lot of people too, and, and overall I get some of that, but I get it in other parts of the country more than I get it in Minnesota. Well, I think it's not, it, it's not just in other parts of the country. I do believe it is in Minnesota. You know, the, the difference between um, you and I is, is you are, you're right in the throes of the political the political piece. And when you actually talk to people um, and they actually have their guard down and they're not afraid to say what it is that they feel, I, I think they, they just question things. There's a, there's a difference between distrust and questioning. Questions are a good thing. Distrust is founded if, it, if there's a founded fact for it to be distrustful. But I would really like to look at the data and look at what deadlines would make sense. I think it would be very premature of me and not a smart thing to say if, hey, let's make a deadline of you know, January. I really wanna look at the data as we go forward and move into this campaign, uh, what makes sense and find good counsel. Because I think that when you look at the facts and you calm down, I think we all need to calm down a little bit. Um, when you look at facts and you, and you have actual data to look at, then you can make better decisions. And that's, that's really what I want to do is just make good, solid decisions. Not look left, not look right, but make the good decision, the best decision for Minnesota. I've lived here for 55 years. And so I just gave away my age. So didn't didn't you didn't have to ask it's me? Okay. For I, well, you know, I would never. <laughs> I you know, I'm I'm wiser than that. Not to mention you're running for public office. We'd figure it out sooner or later. Sooner um, or later. Kelly John Byrne, thanks for joining us on Sunday Take. I know this won't be our last conversation, and I look forward to talking down the line. I hope so too. I want to talk more about food too, and and brownies need to go above ice cream. Just for the record, boys, brownies need to go above ice cream.
we can debate that at a later date. She's talking about my latest food list, which you can find on Twitter. We'll be back next. The next cup of coffee is with Senator Tina Smith. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome back for the second cup of coffee here on Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. I'm Blaise Olson, your host. Joining me now is Senator Tina Smith. Uh, full disclosure, uh, Senator Smith and I have known each other for about 25 years. So when somebody asked how well we knew each other, well, let's just say we were both young political consultants once upon a time, and now I do this, and she's a U.S. Senator, so you can decide who won later on the path. But <laughs> It's definitely two different paths, and I appreciate you joining me, Senator. I'm so glad to join you, Blois, and enjoy. Uh, I'm having a cup of hot tea, which tastes uh, which tastes really good right now in this chilly day. I would uh, I would imagine. Um, can you just give us an update on what is where things are at in Washington right now between the infrastructure bill, the Voting Rights Act? and just kind of these hot topics that just don't seem to be able to move. Well, I'm heading back to Washington on Monday, and we are going to have an action-packed, I have no doubt, uh, rest of October. Uh, You're right. uh, This coming week, we are going to be dealing in the Senate, I expect, with the the voting rights um, legislation that has the agreement of all 50 Democrats uh, and would basically make... uh, Uh, set kind of basic standards for elections that are very similar to what we have here in Minnesota. Uh, So I, you know, I've got to be optimistic that we can get that done when I see in states across the country, uh, uh, partisan state legislators passing legislation that is clearly designed to make it harder for people, um, especially some people, as my colleague Raphael Warnock from Georgia says, make it harder for some people to vote. So that's going to be um, that's going to be on the agenda. In addition, we've got a lot of work to do on the president's Build Back Better agenda. And I would just say to folks, first of all, this agenda, this work that we're doing, is going to be seen and felt by Minnesotans when we get it done in terms of lower prescription drug costs, uh, more affordable childcare, um, lower taxes for middle class um, Minnesotans. Um, and it's hard to get it done. It's hard to get agreement. Uh, hard things are hard. And that is, uh, that's so the work that we have ahead of us. You've talked about working with people across the aisle. Um, Senator Klobuchar talks about it and we hear about it, but we just don't see it uh, in the media. We don't see it that often. Explain kind of how that dialogue goes, because it's also true here in Minnesota that, you know, we don't see it happening very often. And Minnesota, as you know, as a former lieutenant governor, kind of felt 
exceptional in these ways. And frankly, as a longtime mm-hmm. observer, I'm feeling less optimistic that people can sit down and work things out. How does it how does it work in Washington and how can it work better? Well, what you see in Washington is kind of it's like two levels of interaction between Republican and Democratic members of Congress. And the uh, the there is a level I want to just help people feel somewhat optimistic. There is a level of interaction and cooperation and collaboration amongst Republicans and Democrats that you don't see as much, but it's happening. And I think my favorite example of that is the collaborative work that I'm doing with um, um, Senator Mike Rounds from South Dakota. You know, we disagree on a lot of stuff, but Mike and I ride the same airplane back and forth to Minneapolis, and then he goes on to South Dakota every week. And we're working on issues relating to making it easier. We, we passed legislation making it easier for folks who live on tribal land to get a mortgage when the land that the house they want to buy is held in trust by the federal government and expanding uh, support for rural transit, which is something that he and I both care about. And we're passing legislation and getting it signed into law that is um, accomplishing things. It's Got not it. as um, hot and exciting, you know, I guess, as the, <laughs> you know, the big issues that we disagree on. I think it's exciting, but, um, but so there's that Washington. But then you're, I mean, boys, there is the Washington where we had the big challenges of our country, voting rights, addressing the crisis of climate change, addressing the uh, you know, challenges with healthcare costs and prescription drugs, and there is no collaboration. There's just no, it's very difficult to get um, the Republicans in the Senate to engage with us on this. And uh, that is, I mean, I gotta tell you, it's frustrating and, yeah. um, and, and really disappointing. You had a speech uh, this past week at St. John's, a lecture in Eugene McCarthy School, and you were kind of shouted down. We don't need to talk about the incident as much as this is more and more common in public places for public officials of both parties. And we see it happen in dialogue in our neighborhoods and in our school boards and uh, you know, after we talk, I'm going to talk to Kurt Schneiderwin from the Minnesota School Boards Association about how school boards yeah. are dealing with this. You've been around and watched and been on both sides of this. How do we bring some civility back to conversation when we disagree? Because protest and free speech is something I'm going to defend all day long, but it just seems right. much more volatile right now. Well, I completely agree with you. I will defend um, all day long the right of people to come together and to peacefully protest um, and to um, to speak out about the issues that they care so much about. It was, um, but but you know what we are seeing is, I think, um, you know, the kind of a st- almost a strategy of some to to drown to, to drown out uh, voices yeah. in order to. Uh, get their point across. And I have to also say I was on a phone call with a group of uh, school board members from around Minnesota a couple of days ago, and just the exhaustion and Mm -hmm. uh, disillusionment, uh, you know, these are folks, basically being on a school board is practically like being a volunteer. Yes, Uh, You do it for your love of the kids and your love of really just believing that every child should have an opportunity to get a good education. And then you're confronted with people that are so angry. Yeah. Um, it is, it is so disheartening. And what's ironic is the speech that I was intending to give at St. John's as part of the McCarthy lecture was a speech about civic faith and how we need to 
act on our shared values, even if we can't exactly see how that action is going to get us to the, you know, to, to victory or to winning, to not yep. be, you know, not, not, don't be held back from doing what you know is the right thing to do, which is truly an act of faith. So uh, the, I, I think, I believe that there also is so much stress in our community right now. Uh, people are so worried about so many things and that is especially itself in this kind of, um, you know, highly hostile uh, uh, public discourse. And I don't, I mean, honestly, I don't have a solution for it other than yeah. to just do what I do, which is to keep on practicing my civic faith, my belief that you do, that you keep on doing the right thing, even if you're not exactly sure how you're going to get down that path and, uh, and, um, and, you know, not lose faith in my fellow Minnesotans, uh, even when, uh, even when they're so, when they're so angry. No, I, I think that the stress and the exhaustion is real. And I think the way in which mm-hmm. no matter what side of the aisle you're on, you've taken interacted, listened, questioned government and through a pandemic and many other issues the last few years, I think it's real. And when I talk to my neighbors and other people in the community, they, you know, this being an odd year, I will tell you that if there's nothing on the ballot, they're kind of relieved that they don't have to, you know, (laughs) talk about politics, which I think the vast majority of people and the media numbers show it like the vast majority of people are streaming Netflix or they're going to their kids sporting events. They are not tuned into MSNBC, Fox News or you know, sometimes they're mm-hmm. probably not even listening to WCCO, which is healthy and good. One of the big, yeah, yeah. one of the big, obviously, talk discussion points and debates we've been having here for a long time, and I think you have a unique perspective as a former chief of staff to the mayor. Is the debates in Minneapolis between strong mayor, weak mayor, or changing that system, and obviously public safety? Any further thoughts on those? I know you've said earlier you you're still kind of thinking these through and talking to people. Any, any positions here two weeks out? Well, I'm going to be saying a little bit more about how I, what, you know, how I'm, how I'm going to approach this as a Minneapolis voter in the, you know, in the coming days. Um, yeah. But what I think I would just like to say about this is that um, there are people, I've had also many conversations amongst uh, uh, leaders and people who live in the city and I have yet to find a single person who doesn't believe that we need substantial reforms to the way policing and public safety work in this, um, in this city and around the country. You know, I've yet to find a person who believes that the status quo is the right way to go. People have very different views about whether the public safety amendment is a good idea or a bad idea, but they are all trying to figure out a way forward. And I think that you know, this is a campaign between these two um, positions on the on, on public safety and what to do. And yep. I think that that campaign is heightening the differences between people, like just like so much of our political discourse is. Um, and I think that that is going to make it harder because really what has to happen, regardless of what happens with this amendment, and I will always, you know, I will be urging my fellow Minneapolitans to, you know, think long and hard about this. Regardless of what happens, we are still going to have to figure out a way of making the kinds of improvements uh, that we need um, in public safety in this city. And um, the, whatever happens with this amendment, it's not going to be a cure-all or a disaster in, in my mind. Well, and that's, that's exactly it is that one of the things is elections have, we'd say elections have consequences. In many cases, I feel like people think, well, once this election is done, we're going to have a clear 
idea of crime in Minneapolis or police in Minneapolis or not police in Minneapolis. And we're just not. And so it is, it is a hotly contested debate, but it's against a backdrop of obviously crime like you and I have never seen in the city. And I think that's where Mm -hmm. exhaustion and stress, like we've talked about before, just gets exacerbated on all sides. Oh, that's, that is exactly right. And the, um, you know, let's be completely honest, the um, incidents of crime and, 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 and incidents, I should say, of violence, there's a, a, an increased level of violence and especially uh, gun violence in Minneapolis and in St. Paul and in um, cities, big cities, small towns all over this country. That is terrifying to people and it's understandably so but it's not just everywhere it is disproportionately experienced in poor communities and communities of color where the likelihood that you um, die uh, because of gun violence if you are um, a black man is many many times higher than um, than for other people and so for for white people so the the this for for many people in this this is not an abstract argument about what's the best policy. This feels like a, a fundamental question about whether they are safe in their neighborhoods and their homes and their communities. And that's I mean that's ultimately how I'm going to be you know deciding my own vote is which do I think is going to move us towards a path of more safety for people um, everywhere. Well, thanks for the great tease that you're going to make your position known here soon. <laughs> we will have it in the morning take. We'll have it here on News Talk eight three zero CCO. <laughs> And Senator Smith, thanks for joining us for Sunday Take. Thanks. It's great to talk with you, boys. Thank you. Welcome back to Sunday Take here on News Talk 830 WCCO. For the final cup of coffee this Sunday morning, we're talking to Kirk Schneiderwind. He's the executive director of the Minnesota School Boards Association. And school boards have been in the news a lot. And in Minnesota, we have a lot of school board elections this year. Uh, And some of them have attracted a lot of candidates in a race that traditionally doesn't have a lot of candidates. So I want to touch base with Kirk and see what he's hearing from school board members, what he's hearing uh, across the state uh, after a year of a lot of uh, change and uncertainty in education. Kirk, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you very much, boys. And yeah, so um, we represent all 331 of our public school boards and school districts. Um, and we're very proud of that. Um, we are, you know, it's been, you look back 20 months um, when our districts were operating under the emergency orders required to move into distance learning, um, number of medical protocols, operational stuff, doing everything online, really turned the ship quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we are operating in a uh, situation where we still have the pandemic, but many of the decisions have been left to the school board, school district, um, with respect to what type, whether there's going to be online, in person, masking, not masking, vaccine requirements. So there's been a lot of decisions that have been on the shoulders of our boards and school administration. And you talk to any school board member who ran for school board, they probably were not prepared to respond to the number of critical health-related, medical-related issues that, uh, you know, they're normally talking about student achievement, student opportunities. Um, Mm -hmm. And so this has been a, you know, been kind of a whipsaw for them. And it's been a real challenge 
um, in many respects, because many of these issues are, are not simple and people have strong feelings about certain protocols, right? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting you say it that way, because I do think of people who run for school board are generally focused on um, opportunity or their local community. And it is as local of an office as you can get. Um, and so when you talk about the whipsaw between public health opinions, the politicization of it, it's one of the reasons why, you know, I've started to dig into this is because it, it seems like the place at the most local level to kind of get a sense of where people are at right now. But then the other thing I was thinking about is school districts also have kind of a multiple audiences and, and roles, but even just the way the vaccines have rolled out by age, it's, it's even what age, different parameters. One of the things um, historically, I, you know, I feel that school boards are clear about is that they want, you know, they want local control, they want state guidance, they want, but they want to do what's best for their community. And that, you know, that wasn't necessarily as allowed under the governor's emergency orders. But as we went back to school this fall, there was just a lot of pressure on what was the right guidance uh, for local school districts. Can you talk about how you, either the organization or what you've heard from members on what's worked or what parents have been receptive to when it comes to locally driven guidance related to the pandemic? Right. I think one of the things that you alluded to, uh, boys, was, um, you know, it's like the most fundamental government closest to the people that um, that there is. And you look at a Phi Delta Kappen survey that they do every year on who they trust the most or who do they have the most respect for. Well, it's the people you can see in the grocery store. It's the people you see at the, at yeah. the post office. They're closest to us because they know who we are and where we live, right? I mean, that's yep. that's the reality of it. And it's been a little bit, that's what's kind of weird about this is it's been a little bit flipped on our head because of the of the challenges that that have come around with that. But I think the, you know, the, fundamentally the boards um, have done a really, you know, they, they got a good taste of it last year, kind of looking at what are the essential elements, yep. a matrix that they're going to develop on whether they're going to mask or not max. And I think that by, I would say most of our districts have created, if not all of our districts have created some type of matrix that they're looking at, whether it's County data um, transmission rates, whatever it is, really gotten into that and use that as a matrix and, and communicate that with their public on, on where they're going to be. Because we know if one thing for certain is um, today may be no mask, but tomorrow there may be a trigger of masks for senior high students, for example. So I think the challenge for many of our districts is trying to stay in front of all of that and communicate all of that. I think one thing that we know for certain is that parents love certainty. They love predictability, right? They're, they they love to be able to say, I know my kid's going to be in school from eight to three, and these are the yeah. conditions. And so when that thing's moving all the time, that barometer's moving, it makes people, you know, it makes people, um, you know, question, right? Like what's yeah. going to happen tomorrow? And uncertainty predict, predict or uncertainty leads to, 
um, perhaps lack of trust. And we know how important that trust is between your community and your, your board and administration. My guest is Kurt Schneiderwin. He's the executive director of the Minnesota School Boards Association and school boards have been at the center of much debate over the pandemic and it's become political. Let's pivot to a little bit politics, Kirk. Um, there's a lot of school boards that have elections this year. You know, your team um, has highlighted a few districts where, you know, for three or four seats, there's now 10 or 12 candidates. And so there's kind of more interest in that. Not necessarily what's driving it, but um, does that, uh, is that political? Is it all COVID related? Is it curriculum related? What are the driving factors you think that has so much interest in some of these big school board races this year? Yeah, I think it's the, all of the above, boys. Okay. I think it's, I think, um, I don't think you can pinpoint, I think, as you know, we talked about how localized school boards are, and, and it really yep. depends on where you're at. Um, it may be a single issue, or it may be a multitude of issues. But what I would say is, you know, generally our school board elections um, are really focused on on funding, policy, and opportunities for kids. And um, you're right. So we've it, we, there's no political endorsements that come around for our school boards, and many of these issues that are working their way down the the path here are highly politicized. Yeah. And so I think that has generated more interest um, in in some of these races. And I think, you know, whether it's curriculum, um, whether it's vaccines, whether it's masks, um, I think it's great that we have a great deal of interest in the races. I think one of the things that we're also hopeful for is that the candidates who do get in here have good intentions about what is good for their district and community and not steer towards a one issue or single issue um, for their district. I would also recognize, boys, that we've had a number of resignations, too. I think that that's an important element that plays into the number of elections. We know our even, excuse me, our odd year elections are are fewer. So we've got about 30 districts that are going out from the regular election cycle in the odd year. But we have 36 special elections wow. to fill vacancies for those individuals who have either said, I've had enough, um, or due to the COVID work environment that we're yep. in, they can work, move somewhere and work from somewhere else, right? Yeah. So th- that's real. No, I think it is real, Kirk. And, um, and I really appreciate your time today because I think, you know, as, as we close here, just help people understand what it takes to a be a school board member and b are there any kind of messages and i have one which is just be kind and civil to all public servants no matter what but i think of the people who serve on school boards as your neighbor literally your neighbor and some of the behavior we've seen has has been outrageous no matter how passionate you are be kind and civil is kind of my message, but any message for people who are running or, you know, looking to get involved in school boards? Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think, I think, you know, you look back three to five years and school board meetings were, you know, they just kind of showed up and did their business, had a few people show up and, and comment and, uh, and our boards always value community input from the parents. But I think you, you, you nailed it. I think that, 
Um, much of this has been due, much of the stress has been due to the lack of civility, not following the rules and procedures of the, in, at the public hearing, and, and using this as an opportunity to share their views. And you look at any governing body, school, board, city, county, legislature, committees at the legislature, they have rules, right? right? I mean, they have rules and procedures that need to be followed. And I think that it's better to be civil and respectful and sharing your point of view rather than um, being critical of the person who is sitting behind the board table. So, I mean, our boards, you know, I think, I think for those who are going to be voting this year, um, I think it's really important for them to get as with any candidate, get, be informed, take a, take a, take an interest in your school board election, read the forum, attend forums, read the Q and A's that they provide in the newspapers. So you are prepared to vote for people who are supporting your community and supporting your students. Um, so that's really, really important. And, and, and then, as you know, School board work isn't showing up once a month. There's a lot of work that goes yeah. into it. Policy preparation, committee work, um, curriculum decisions, finance decisions, some big stuff. And so I think for our, our citizens who are interested, they got to be prepared to, to pull their boots on and get to work when they when they become school board member. Absolutely. Kirk Schneiderwen from Minnesota School Boards Association. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to Sunday Take this week. I'm your host, Boyce Olson. We'll be back next Sunday at 9 a.m. on News Talk 830 WCCO. If it's Sunday and it's 9 a.m., we're talking politics on WCCO. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 